Let's open our Bibles together this morning to the book of Genesis. We are in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verse 1 this morning. Most of you guys can probably quote this from memory. But I want to say while you're turning there, Happy New Year. It is good to see everybody here this morning, and today is a reminder that God's world runs in cycles. Can I get an amen? Every 24 hours, we get a new day. Every 365 and a quarter days, we get a new year. And we measure our lives in seconds, minutes, hours, months. And those months turn into years. Each new year should bring us to a point of assessment and planning, and we should look back and gauge our progress or our regress, whichever the case may be, and we should be honest about our successes and our failures. So my prayer for us is that in this new year, we will spend our time, our minutes, our seconds, our hours, our days, our months in service of God and of his kingdom I pray that we will be on mission individually and together this year to love God, to love others, to bring glory to God in all that we do. That's what we're called to do. That's what we are saved to do in this world. And I pray that we will share the gospel in our daily lives. But if we want to be successful this year, truly successful as God defines Success. We are going to have to live life His way. We're going to have to be led by the Holy Spirit. And God has given us something that is necessary for our growth and success in 2023. Without this one thing that God has given us, we will not be what God wants us to be this year. And we will not be able to do all the things that God wants us to to accomplish. So our lives, every single one of our lives are connected to stories. Everything we did this past year was connected to a story, a storyline of our nation, the storyline of our families, of our jobs, of our dreams, of our goals. Everything that we do springs from our story. Think about it. Stories define our lives. So what would it mean for you if you woke up one morning and realized that everything you had believed in your life up to that point about your story was a lie? This isn't something we have to imagine. We have a story in the Bible as well as many stories throughout history but this happened to Moses. Moses was raised believing that he was the grandson of Pharaoh. He was educated in Egypt. He was taught to worship the gods of Egypt. He was indoctrinated with their culture, their customs, their beliefs. He had access to the wealth of the Egyptians, the comfort, the pleasure, the celebrity status, and the respect that came with being a grandson of the most powerful man in the world, the Pharaoh of Egypt. 
And we do not know how or when, but at some point, Moses learned who he really was. He learned what his true story was. He learned the ones that he had called his family were his true enemies. They were enslaving and oppressing his true family. He found out that the man that he was raised to believe was his grandfather had ordered his death when he was just an infant. Think about that. And he was responsible personally for murdering thousands of newborn baby boys. Everything Moses believed to be true about his own identity, about his own story, his own history, and his own God was a lie. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, so he's an adult, he spent his entire life growing up in the palace as the grandson of Pharaoh. When he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. He realized what his true story was. And it changed everything in his life. That's the same thing that happened to every one of us when we trusted Christ as our Savior. We repented, turned our backs on a story that most of us, it was all about us. It was built all around us. We were the hero. We were the central figure of our story. And there were idols that were set up that we looked to that defined the narrative of our life and the direction of our life. But when we met Christ... The story changed. We realized so much more about who we are. Sociologists call this a meta-narrative. It is a grand narrative or a grand overarching story that provides context and meaning for the lives of an entire group of people. All cultures have stories that define their existence. If you believe the wrong story, you will behave the wrong way. In World War II, people fought and died for Hitler. Why? They believed his story. They believed the propaganda. They believed the narrative that they were the good guys, that they were fighting for justice and right and truth. They actually believed that to the point that they laid their lives down on the field. They believed the wrong story. We are here today in this free country because men and women have laid down their lives on the battlefield for a story. What does a flag represent? It's not just cloth. It's not just colors. It's not just stars and stripes. It is a story of who we are. It's an identity and it defines our lives. And we're here today because people laid their lives down on a battlefield. They believed in the God-given right to liberty from tyranny. Stories are powerful. And God knows this. And God gave us a story. It's a grand story that defines our reality. And I don't know if you've ever heard it put this way. But in our series that we're moving into this morning and through the, the rest of this year... 
I want you to realize that God wrote a book. God wrote a book. We believe that. That's where our story starts. He revealed himself. It contains the truth about who he is, who we are, and about our existence. Today we're beginning a series through that book, through that story. And we call that story the Holy Bible. The Bible is made up of 66 books written by around 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. They lived on three different continents and they were from many different walks of life. But as you would expect, these 66 books are not just random, disjointed, or unconnected stories. They tell one story. They reveal God's one eternal plan and purpose for our world. And that is miraculous. How in the world could all of these 40 different authors across two different millennia from three different continents who were shepherds, kings, slaves, builders, carpenters, generals, farmers, priests, prophets, fishermen, politicians, assassins, and government agents. How could all of those different people who spoke three different languages from different cultures tell one unified story in 66 books from beginning to end? It's a supernatural book. That's the only explanation. If you have a Bible in your hand or in your lap or at home, you have a miracle. It was miraculously written. It was miraculously preserved for us. The Holy Spirit inspired the human authors to tell one cohesive story from beginning to end. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. And that's the only way this book, this library, these 66 books that tell one story is possible. Only God could tell this story. Look with me, if you will, at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. These words are so familiar to us, but they're so powerful. Let's read these as if we've never heard these words before. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the beginning of our story. And that changes everything. God is the only one who could have written this. Who was in the beginning? Only God. This is before he created the planets, the stars, the universe, the solar system, the plants, the oceans, the dry land, and humans. He's the only one that was there. He's the only one that could tell this story. He's eternal. This God is self-existent. He's the Lord of time. He exists above and apart from time, but he is free to enter time Romans 11:36 says from him and through him and to him are all things 
This God created all things. And they're all created for him. And it's all about him. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God does not have a beginning or an end. God does not change. God is all-knowing. God is all-wise. He is ever-present. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He possesses all power. He is the triune God. He's perfect in all He does. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. He is love. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He is kind. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And He wrote a book. And His book is a self-revelation. It reveals our Creator, the fall of man, the way of salvation, and God's plan and purpose throughout all the ages. He wrote a book for us. It is for our benefit. He knew his story. He knew who he was. We are the ones that needed to know him and to know who we are. We have the Bible so that we can know him, understand our problems, our situation, receive salvation, and find peace and purpose in our lives. The Bible tells one story. You know, I grew up in church my entire life, and I don't think I ever heard that statement. I don't think I ever heard anybody present it to me like that. And when I discovered this as a grown, as an adult, it changed everything for me. The Bible is not primarily a book about morals. Though scripture has a lot to say about how we live and how we act, it is not primarily a manual for moral living. The Bible is not about us. The Bible is about God. Edmund Clowney, who was a professor and theologian, said that if we read a particular story without putting it into the context of the bigger story about Christ, we actually change the meaning of the particular event for us. It becomes a moralistic exhortation to try harder rather than to live by faith and trust alone in the work of Christ. In the end, there are only two ways to read the Bible. Either it's all about us or it's all about Jesus. In other words, if it's basically all about me and what I do, I'll read the Bible through that lens but if it's all about Christ and what he has done, that changes everything. And if this goes from being random, disconnected, disjointed stories that just have moral meanings to one overarching story that tells the amazing story of our God, it changes everything. The Bible is not a collection of fables. It's true. It's not a book of virtues. It's a story about how God loves us and saves us. And this story works out in four different movements. The whole Bible from beginning to end can be defined in these four movements. Nothing exists without context. We must understand the context of Scripture if we are to properly apply it to our lives. Herman Bavink 
was a theologian, a Dutch theologian, and he gave one of the greatest summaries of all the Bible that I've ever heard. God the Father has reconciled his created but fallen world through the death of his Son and renews it into a kingdom of God by his Spirit. I want you to notice in that these four movements, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration are present. That's the entire story of the Bible in one sentence. But God chose to reveal his word in 66 different books. And we have access to it in our language. We have more access to the Bible, to commentaries about the Bible, to sermons about the Bible than anybody at any point in history. When we stand before God, former generations will look at us and testify that we had zero excuse to be biblically illiterate. We have access to so much. Radio, television, the internet, books, churches on every corner. So I want us to walk through these four movements this morning as we talk about the Holy Bible as one story. The first movement is creation. This is how the Bible starts out. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 covers the story of creation. This morning, myself and some friends started our reading plan for the year, and we started in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And it's such a great reminder that that's the beginning of our story. It's not the beginning of God. God was already there. But the first movement in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is about creation. Seven times in these two chapters, God states, the Bible states, and God said. And when he speaks, things happen. Things come into existence. Light, water, sky, earth, sun, moon, stars, solar systems appear out of nothing at the word of God. The eighth statement of God in this creation narrative begins with, Then God said, and he created man and woman in his own image. The story reveals God's infinite power, his intentionality, his plan, his majesty, and man and woman are the pinnacle of his creation. And we're given divine rulership over creation, over a perfect creation. It provides a picture of God's greatness, his goodness, and his provision for us. And this part of the story provides us with purpose. Many times when people share the gospel with others, they always start with sin. If you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? Do you know that you're a sinner? That's true, but that's not the starting point. The starting point is you are a human being created by God, created in his image with dignity, value, worth, purpose, meaning you're not an accident. 
It doesn't matter if you agree with me, if you have the same worldview as me, if you have the same morals as me. You are a human being created in God's image. That's the starting point. And it's so important that we start there, especially when we share the good news with people. It's something we all have in common. But then he quickly moves in Genesis chapter 3 to the second movement, and that is the fall. Genesis 3 records the fall of man, where sin entered the world, wreaked havoc on God's creation. Mankind fell from our relationship with God. And all of God's creation that was perfect and in perfect harmony with Him and with mankind was cursed. That's the world we know. That's the world we were born into. We know nothing of a paradise. We know a world where death reigns. We know a world where sin and injustice abounds. And it's because of the fall. Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. They chose to rebel against their creator. They committed cosmic treason. And Genesis chapter 3 provides us with a portrait of that rebellion, but it also shows us a picture of God's grace. Because God had every right to kill Adam and Eve right then. And it's possible that they had children at that point. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. He had every right to wipe out humanity. Yet he did not do that. We see a picture of his grace. He sacrificed an animal to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. You don't see the language of sacrifice in Genesis chapter 3. But you see that instead of God killing them, God kills an animal and clothes them with their skins which is a foreshadowing of God's grace. He also says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, our first glimpse of the gospel, that through the offspring of the woman, a deliverer would come who would crush the head of the serpent, and in doing so, his heel would be bruised. We see in Genesis chapter 3, three chapters into God's book, this theme of a sacrifice, the innocent dying for the guilty. And this part of the story shows us our deep need of a Savior, and it gives us hope and faith in God's plan as God has made a promise. So, so far we've covered two sections, two of the four major movements of the Bible, and we're only three chapters in. Take heart. They're all not going to be as long as this. This next section, redemption, it's the largest section of Scripture. And it covers Genesis chapter 4 through Revelation chapter 20. So from Genesis 3, the entire Old Testament is doing one thing. It's telling us about the coming Messiah. The Old Testament is the anticipation of God's promises. It starts with Adam and the fall of man. Then Adam's son, Seth, after Cain kills Abel and Cain is cursed, Seth becomes the child of promise. And through his line, a man named Terah is born and his wife gives birth to Abram. 
And Abraham is the one that God makes a covenant to bless all the nations of the world through his offspring. And throughout the Old Testament, we see Isaac and Jacob and Judah and Joseph and Moses and Joshua as each of these people move forward and advance God's plan and God's kingdom through the nation of Israel. Then we see judges are raised up when, after Joshua takes them into the promised land. These judges rule on God's behalf until the people reject God's rule and they demand a king like the pagan nations around them. But that didn't stop God's plan. This plan of redemption continues on. And God gives them a king. Saul is the first and one of the very worst kings. But then God gives them David, a man after his own heart. And God renews his covenant with David, reminding him that he hasn't forgotten his promise. And we move forward in the story. Solomon has this same covenant renewed with him that through his line, the Messiah would come. But Solomon sins, and in his children's rule and reign, the kingdom is divided. Then eventually the kingdom is judged and sent off into exile. All the while the prophets are speaking and writing on behalf of God. From Genesis chapter 3 all the way through Malachi. All of the Old Testament is pointing forward to Christ. It's anticipation of the coming Messiah. And then after the book of Malachi was written, there's silence for a period of 432 years. Silence. Nothing. And then Matthew starts out telling the genealogy of Jesus Christ, showing that he came through the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, Solomon. And Jesus was the fulfillment, the manifestation in the Gospels of the God who became flesh. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross, a sacrificial, atoning death for our sins. He rose from the grave. He commissioned the disciples. He ascended back into heaven declaring that all authority on heaven and earth had been given to him. The one who came as a servant and humbled himself to the point of death on the cross was highly exalted, given a name that's above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. The living and the dead The Gospels are the manifestation of God's promises. Then in the book of Acts, we see the proclamation. The proclamation, the church is born. The church grows exponentially. In one day on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 are added to the church. A few days later, 5,000 are added to the church. The church in Jerusalem is thought to be about 20,000 people. 
right after the death of Christ, the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ. The church grows exponentially. But then persecution begins in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8 starts out with a great persecution. But the more that God's plan is resisted, the more the darkness is driven out. And the most vocal enemy of the gospel becomes the greatest evangelist of all time. And God uses the chief of sinners, as he calls himself, to write 13 or more books in the New Testament. We call these the epistles. And the epistles are the explanation of the doctrines of the church. What it means that Christ has come and fulfilled all of the Old Testament. What it means to live as the church of Jesus Christ. It's the inner workings of our salvation. It teaches us how we should live in light of our new identity in Christ. So we have creation, fall, redemption. And the final section of scripture in Revelation 21 and 22 is restoration. This is where we're headed, church. The Old Testament, they were looking forward to Jesus coming. We look back at Jesus coming and the formation of the church and all of church history and our place in church history, where we're at today in the present. But we're looking forward to the final consummation, to the restoration of peace, of God's shalom, where everything is set back as it's meant to be, where we are resurrected and we live in glorified bodies, where Satan has been cast in the lake of fire, where all the enemies of God are conquered and banished, and Jesus Christ rules and reigns on a throne over his creation as King of kings and Lord of lords, and every aspect of creation is brought back into perfect harmony with God and the rest of creation. That's where we're headed, church. Jesus is coming back, and they're not going to crucify him again. He's coming back, and he will rule with a rod of iron. And we will be with him. We will be his people. He will be our God. We talk about heaven, but heaven is not clouds that we float around on playing harps. Heaven is a kingdom where we will rule and reign with God as the people of God. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back to this earth. He will make a new heaven, a new earth. And we will be with him in a world that is perfect. No more death, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more guilt, no more shame, no more oppression, no more injustice. That's the restoration that we are looking forward to. The Bible reveals our Father's loving and merciful and gracious work through the Son, Jesus Christ. To restore relationship with his creation. It reminds us that this holy God will one day return to set everything right in his world. To judge. And when we stand before the judgment, the Bible says it's appointed unto man. All men wants to die. And after this, the judgment. We will either be declared righteous through the blood of Christ. That's the only way of salvation. Or we will be condemned 
to eternally pay for our own sins in hell. That's what God's story tells us. That's the truth. But God has provided a way of salvation, a way of escape. And the church is in possession of this good news. And we should be sharing it everywhere we go. So for our application this morning, how do you fit into this one story? I want to show you a video and it explains what I've just talked about. 66 books, dozens of authors, a holy canon thousands of years in the making. Consider the works, accounts of history and law, prophecy and poetry, verses of wisdom and letters from friends. Now, look again, what do you see? Behind the fallen creation, where the first son Adam led all humanity astray, there is the faithful son, a new Adam who fulfills the promise and crushes the serpent's head. In the waters of the flood, just as God used Noah to save his family from judgment, there is a greater vessel by which all God's children are saved. On the altar of desperation, just as Isaac asked his father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice, comes the answer from the wilderness, behold the lamb. For a thirsty people, just as Moses struck the rock in the wilderness, there is a rock whose living water satisfies forever. In the battle against Goliath, where an unlikely king became a champion for his people, we see the shadow of a greater king who defeats sin and death to claim our victory. In the long exile of a people, Isaiah's eyes were opened to a vision of salvation and the eternal journey of God's people to the Promised Land. Until finally, in humble manger lay the hope of the world, the King who reigns from a throne of straw to Calvary's cross to the deathless tomb of eternal Easter. Every story casts his shadow, every word Every verse bears his testimony. The Holy Messiah, Jesus Christ, Eternal King. The Bible is one story, and my closing question is, how do you fit into this story? You must believe this story. You must become a part of this story. You must identify with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for your sins and receive his salvation by grace through faith. We can't earn it. It's a gift. And we're called to live holy lives as children of God. We're called to live in liberty and be more than conquerors. This new year, 2023, can be the best year we've ever had in our lives for the glory of God. Advancing the kingdom of God. In Christ, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. We have his story in the pages of scripture and his Holy Spirit to help us live out the redeemed life. I mentioned 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, but if we back up 
a little bit in that verse. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the holy, sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I repeat what I said at the beginning. We cannot be all that God wants us to be or do all that God wants us to do in 2023 without the Holy Bible. So I'm going to be teaching this year and preaching an overview of a different book of the Bible every single Sunday this year. I was struggling with what book to teach through next. And honestly, I just kept going back and forth and back and forth. And I told a friend, it's just all so good. You can't make a bad decision, but I really want to teach what God wants me to teach. And I kept being drawn back to the themes of Scripture. And God put this on my heart, I believe, to teach through every book of the Bible. I won't make it through all. There's 66 books in 52 weeks, so do the math. (laughs) I won't be able to make it through the Bible this year, but we're going to continue on. We're going to be teaching through the overview, the themes, and the connection to Christ in every single book in the Bible. There are different ways to study the Bible. I just taught through the book of 1 John. It took me 11 weeks. We zoomed in. Looked at basically every word, every passage. And that's a wonderful, beautiful way to study the Bible. You learn so much about the intricacy of every single book. But there's another way to study the Bible. And it's basically from a 35,000 foot view. Like flying over a city, it looks different than when you're riding on the subway through the city. And when you fly over a city, you can see things that you can't see when you're walking down a street or on a bus. So we're going to see some things looking at the themes and overview of Scripture. And my prayer is, as we apply this to our lives, my prayer is that as a church, we will read the Bible every single day. I challenge you to do this. We can read different amounts. Some people read through the Bible in a year. Some people read through it in two years or five years. I don't really care how much you read of it but that you're truly reading it, intentionally asking God to explain it to you through the Holy Spirit, and that you're going deeper in God's Word than you've ever been before. And I also want to challenge you. This is is a next-level challenge. I want to challenge you to read ahead through the book of the Bible that I'm going to be teaching. And you may think, okay, that's going to be easy some weeks. Like, you know, the book of... Ruth is really short. That's, that's easy to read through. The book of Genesis is 51, 52 chapters. Uh, it takes a little bit longer. But if you sit down and read it from beginning to end, you can probably do it in about 45 minutes, maybe an hour. So I want to challenge you, church. Be familiar with God's Word. And as we teach through the Bible in a little bit different way this year, I pray that as we see the overarching theme of each book and how it's connected to the main one story of the Bible, God's story, that that will challenge us to go deeper in each of these books. Because however long I'm here, I'm going to be teaching through books of the Bible. 
This is a little bit of out of the ordinary for me to teach overviews, but I feel like this is what we need as a church, and I'm excited about it. As a matter of fact, I've had a few of my pastor friends reach out and say, I hope you put those videos up because I want to follow along because I want to learn. And I can promise you, I learn more than anybody as I'm studying through Scripture. I think the main reason God has me teaching the things I'm teaching is because I need to learn it. And it's been such a blessing to my life. So this year, read your Bible every day. Try to read ahead through every book of the Bible each week. And this year, walk in obedience to the truth that God has revealed in his word. Jesus said that the wise men and women are those who hear his words and who do them. He said, everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. We don't read the Bible just for knowledge. We read it to know God. We read it to obey it and to live it out. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning that challenges our hearts. Lord, I pray that an excitement has been stirred up inside of each one of us to know you more through your word. God, your word is truth. And Lord, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to hear it, understand it, believe it, and live it out this year. I pray that 2023 would be a year of true success. Success in your eyes by your definition of success. And God, I pray that we would be your people, that we would faithfully love and serve you and serve others and share the gospel. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.